What a wonderful time of worship before our King, our King, King Jesus. As you know, we've been speaking on the book of Daniel here at church. Daniel has always been my favorite book of the Bible. I remember reading it as a, as a young man, and I remember actually God would begin to give me dreams just like some of the things mentioned, but uh, I think he may be your favorite as well by the time we're done with this. For those who don't know me, my name is Cole, and my wife and I serve as children's pastors here at Gathering Place Church. I'm very excited to share with you the heart of the Lord today, a heart that was captured and shown by many in the Bible and even many that are here today. I titled today's message as A Watchman on the Wall. A Watchman on the Wall. I'm going to read to you an Old Testament story from Ezekiel chapter 33. Some of you may recognize this or know this story. Once again, a message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give your people this message. God talking to Ezekiel. When I bring an army against the country, the people of that land choose one of their own to be a watchman. When the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it is their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm but ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But if the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, then the watchman is responsible for their captivity. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for the deaths of the people. Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die, and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins, and I will hold you responsible for their deaths. But if I warn them to repent and they do not repent, then they will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. This is where I get my title from, A Watchman on the Wall. God had called Ezekiel to watch over the people and to hear from God. I hope you will see today that you are a watchman on the wall. And we're going to touch on this again before we leave. Pastor Garrett has walked us through three sermons from the book of Daniel. He talked about how to set yourself apart from the crowd, to do it with respect and with honor. How to stand for your faith even when you end up in a fire. And how kneeling in prayer actually gave Daniel strength to stand. These three topics are so powerful and truly applicable to every part of our lives. But today's message a message of being a watchman on the wall is much more focused and narrow in topic of how we can translate our Christian faith to life in the public square. I ask you today to ask the Holy Spirit that lives within you to lead your soul and your spirit with the message. I'm going to address today's topic through a series of three questions. The first question should Christians participate in a corrupt government and culture? My second question to you today will be, if so, 
what is our biblical mandate within culture and government? And lastly, the third question I'm going to pose to you today is, how do we translate, if we have a biblical mandate, how do we translate our biblical mandate into culture and government today? Before we get started, though, I'm going to have a video uh, transition us into the message today. Were these men of God throughout history being too political? 1450 BC, Moses petitioned Pharaoh for the liberty of God's people, even calling down consequences when the king failed to comply. 870 BC, Elijah, in the name of the Lord, he challenged King Ahab and his advisors for their ungodly policies and practices. 29 AD, should John the Baptist have kept quiet rather than confronting King Herod about his immoral lifestyle, even though it cost him his ministry and even his life? 30 AD, when Pilate said to Jesus, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Was Jesus too political when he replied, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above? 31 AD, were Peter and John getting political when they publicly refused to comply with the governing authorities who told them not to preach or teach in the name of Jesus? 54 AD, the Apostle Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus in such a way that it totally disrupted both business and politics in the region. 1775, in early America, would you have joined Pastor Jonas Clark in Lexington, Massachusetts, when he led his church and community to form a militia and face the British in the war for independence? 1830. Be holy as God is holy. How political was Second Great Awakening preacher Charles Finney when he passionately called for an end to slavery from the pulpit? 1954. Was separation of church and state being honored when Dr. George McPherson Dougherty preached a sermon that convinced President Eisenhower to include under God in our Pledge of Allegiance? 1963. I have a dream. What about the civil disobedience of Baptist minister, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who led civil rights marches, giving his life for the cause? Were all of these men of God being too political or were they just being biblical? I'm going to make a couple statements before we dive into today, to today's message. I'm not here on behalf of a political party or a political ideology. I'm here as a messenger from God. I believe that the beauty of our congregation is that we're all here for the same reason, and that's our love for Jesus. Our love for Jesus is actually what brings us together here at church. It's what makes us one. That is our goal today, to come to an agreement that our love for Jesus can be a cause to say in every area of our lives, God, what do you want me to do? I submit my jaded thoughts to you, my jaded heart. Show me your will, God, and teach me, Holy Spirit. Show me your will, God, and teach me, Holy Spirit. Can we all say amen to that? That's why we're here today, and that's what we want. I believe you're going to enjoy and be challenged by the message today. Let's get into our first question. Should Christians participate in a corrupt government and culture? 
The video we just watched takes us through several people in history, in the Bible and in America. Let's review some of those examples. You may see a common theme, and I hope that that will answer our first question. Moses. God had called Moses, a murderous Moses, to confront the king, the dictator, Pharaoh. Ten different times. Moses had killed a government official, if you remember, in his past, but was called to address Pharaoh, saying, let my people go. Was Moses being too political by showing up to the king's court? Or was he just obeying God's command on his life? How about Daniel? Daniel served many kings and interpreted many dreams. Was Daniel corrupted by the political pig pen by working in this government position? Or was Daniel doing the Lord's work even though the kings were very sinful men? How about Esther? Esther broke into the king's courtroom without being invited, knowing that death was the penalty. Was she considered too radical by asking the king to change his law that would kill all of her people? Should she have sat back as the government passed the law? Was she, or was she just being a watchman on the wall for her people? How about Jesus? Jesus spoke to the governor, as the video mentioned. Pilate of Rome, a man who could have beheaded him on the spot. And Jesus said to him, You would have no power over me unless it were given to you from above. Did Jesus not understand that God and state were separate? Charles Finney. Charles Finney was a leader, one of the main preachers of America's Second Great Awakening. And he was there in the early 1800s, but he preached a radical political message of liberating African Americans from their slavery. This message came decades before the abolishment of slavery. And if you saw the picture, he was a white dude talking to a bunch of white people. Was Finney in political territory by preaching on the most divisive government law and political talking point of his day? Or was he just preaching the heart of the loving father? Was Finney a watchman on the wall? Lastly, MLK. Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., the leader of the civil rights movement, led black Americans through the Jim Crow era of America and met with U.S. presidents and Congress to end the Jim Crow laws. Was this Baptist minister out of the will of God by being so political? Or was MLK just obeying the biblical mandate on his life? These are many powerful examples of how our jaded minds in today's world would be considered, hey, he's that pastor marching to Washington with thousands of people. That, he needs to stay in the church. That's way too political for him. When in fact, God had actually created these souls, these people, for the sole purpose of influencing government and culture. In God's eyes, they were being obedient servants, also known as biblical. These people participated in a culture and government as their role in bringing healing to the broken world. Some did it as one person standing alone, just like Esther or Daniel or Jesus, while some had a group around them standing in unity, just like Moses, he had his brother Aaron and the people behind him. Or Finney, he had his congregation and those that believed in his message. Or MLK, like I mentioned, the hundreds of thousands marching to Washington and being in Washington for his very famous speech. 
So in order for the Lord's will, or as Drake would say, God's plan, in order for the Lord's will to come here on earth as it is in heaven, what avenue did God have these men and women take to bring down the justice of the Almighty God and to restore the God-given rights of man? What avenue did God have them take to do the will of God? Being a culturally engaged Christian is our heritage and our God-given calling. It is a calling that has transcended generations for thousands of years. But I know many may say, but Cole, those are heroes called by God, living in a different time, different generation with different issues. Those were easy issues to, you know, today's mind. Those were easy issues to get, get behind. But those who are having those thoughts that believe today we should remove ourselves from government and culture because it's so corrupt, to excuse ourselves from stepping off the wall of watching for the enemy, I want to address the three common narratives that probably led you to believe that, that define oftentimes our rights as citizens in being Christians. You may have heard that politics is dirty. Many backroom deals force you to corrupt your morals and values. Therefore, Christians should stay out of politics to maintain their salvation. The world will go to hell in a handbasket no matter what Christians do. Heard that? Anybody heard that? You may have heard separation of church and state. Christians should be prohibited from shoving their religion down the throats of others especially whose lifestyles don't line up with the Word of God. Therefore, any moral law that is mentioned in the Bible that could be said that's from a Christian should be prohibited from being enforced in the public square. Anybody ever heard that before? You may have heard that Jesus said to turn the other cheek when an evil person hits you. Therefore, Christians should not advocate for moral laws or a moral lifestyle because confrontation offends people that live differently than us. We are to be nice and unoffensive like Jesus was. Who's heard that one? Each of these are perverted lies provided by Satan himself to confuse and to scare Christians to keep us within these four walls of church. If this is accomplished and you all can decide if it already has been accomplished, the prince of the air, known as Satan, stays upon his throne as the thug and the pimp of culture and government. He's a thug and a pimp of culture and government. He bullies you right into the corner. He scares you. He sends out his scare tactics. But what does Scripture say about sharing our values and our morals that are given by God? Scripture comes from Matthew 5. I want everybody to read it with me. It's a common Scripture but I want, you, want it to seek deep down in your soul today. So let's go ahead and start reading. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, lamp is placed on a stand 
where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This scripture is not talking about shining a light in the lightest place on earth. I don't need to shine a light when it's plenty lit up in here. Where do you need to shine a light at? You need to shine a light in the dark. But some still may believe, and some still may believe that culture and government is fine. It's doing a good job. Always working towards the good of the people. Always improving because we have access to all this information. We have access and improvements to technology. It's making us more efficient and better people. If this is your understanding, I want to tell you three quick stories of how Satan, the prince of the air, the pimp, is grabbing our courts, Congress, and culture by the throats. For example, with the courts. Right across the river in Hamilton County, Ohio, a juvenile court judge removed a teenager from the custody of their Christian parents because the teen wanted gender transitioning hormones, a decision the parents were against. These hormones provided irreversible changes such as sterilization since she was so young. The story began when the child was experiencing severe anxiety and depression. The parents took her to Cincinnati Children's Hospital, a hospital we know well around here, where she was quickly diagnosed with gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria is a medical condition that states you are distressed because you identify as a different gender than the one assigned to you at birth. Cincinnati Children's Hospital quickly recommended gender transitioning hormones to change the girl's 16-year-old body composition. When the parents sought Christian counseling after this, the teen quickly claimed that the parents told her to commit suicide. This then prompted Family Services of Ohio to claim interim custody of the child and to place her under her grandmother's care so that she can begin the transitioning hormones and the treatment. In February of 2018, the court decided, based on the best interest of the child standard, the grandmother would be awarded custody so the teenager can continue her treatment for gender dysphoria. As a side note, every child at Cincinnati Children's that is diagnosed with gender dysphoria, 100% is recommended to receive gender transitioning hormones and irreversible, based on the age, irreversible. How about our Congress? There is a state legislator in all 50 states. 14 of these states in the U.S. have banned gender conversion therapy for minors, for kids under 18. The city of Cincinnati has also passed this law. State and city governments have decided that it is illegal for anybody who is sanctioned by the state to counsel to encourage a minor who is confused or exploring their sexuality that it is beneficial to have a heterosexual relationship versus a homosexual relationship. This law is sweeping states and cities. And lastly, with the culture and schools, I don't think I need to mention a story, but I'm going to go ahead and throw one out there. There was a teacher in a school who had a male student that began dressing like a female and being called by a female name during school hours. This boy would arrive to school as a boy and change, put on makeup, change the name, 
to keep the actions concealed from the parents. When the teacher became concerned of the child's actions, uh, he wanted to tell the parents, but the school administrators uh, had another message for him. So the teacher got an email from the school superintendent along with the school board attorney saying that if you alert the parents of the kids' actions, you're going to be fired. These, and currently Ohio has pending legislation to try and protect teachers from this. These are only a few stories of how Satan has used confusion on my generation and on the generations coming after us, challenging the identity of our children, just as he did, Satan did to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and asking him, but did God say, is this even God? Is this who you are? Challenging the very identity. Satan is working overtime to bully people who oppose his agenda. So to address my first question, should we or are we to participate in a corrupt government and culture? I believe it's yes. The darkness of our courts, our Congress, our culture and schools needs our light. It needs the truth that we have. We are to shine our light not under something that is going to stop it, but for everyone to see just as a city is upon a hill. Just as Moses and Daniel and Esther and MLK, we must be involved and we must be the watchmen on the wall. My second question, what is our mission then within culture and government? Our biblical mandate. We just read Matthew 5 about not keeping our light, our lifestyles, our morals hidden. The Bible says to put our light on a stand for all to see. This is why I love Daniel so much. He really exhibited, he showed what it's like to live a life of faith in the public square. Let's take a quick look at how Daniel applied his biblical mandate given from God and work in government. I want to show you three things about it real quick. We know that Daniel was gifted early on as a young man with the interpretation of dreams. Daniel used this gift to assist and to influence kings, not to assist or influence anybody in the church. God placed Daniel in the king's room, in the courtroom, on purpose. See, God would give, if you read the story, a king a dream or a king a writing on the wall, something very confusing, on purpose. He placed Daniel there on purpose, knowing that he would give Daniel the interpretation of what's going on to show God's power. He was placed there to show God's power. But see, Daniel wasn't over the religious branch of the government. He was actually the chief of the most demonic branch of the government and known to be over it. Referencing Daniel 5, verse 11. I'm skipping way down to it. It's a long scripture. But a woman saw the writing on the wall. Everybody's freaking out. Astrologers, no one knows what's going on. But a woman remembers, your predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, made him... Daniel, chief over all the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, fortune tellers of Babylon. These people are working with the devil to get information, and Daniel's over them. Daniel is considered to be the worst in government. 
but he used it to assist and to influence kings, not anybody sitting in a church. There's nothing wrong with gifts for the church. But guess what? There are gifts that are meant for government. There are gifts meant for our culture. And I want you all to understand that. Next, Daniel did not alter his religion or his relationship with God only to suffice the haters. Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. But when Daniel learned that the law had been signed that prohibits any religious activity other for the king, he went home and knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open towards Jerusalem. He prayed three times a day just as he had always done, giving thanks to God. Daniel understood that he would be killed if he did this. That was the decree. But he had his mind set on the eternal, not the carnal. Let me say that one more time for those who didn't hear that. Daniel had his mind set on the eternal, not the carnal. This is why Daniel did not alter his religion or his relationship with God only to suffice the haters. If anybody knows about haters, they don't stop. They don't stop and when you stop. They just keep going until they pummel you in the ground. And that's what I got to encourage you with today. Don't suffice to the haters. You're never going to suffice them. Also, Daniel asked for God's help. Verse 11. Then the officials went together to Daniel's house and found him praying and asking for God's help. So they went straight to the king and reminded him about his law. We need God's help to influence and to love others. Amen? Amen. We need God's help to love and to influence others. So what was the outcome of Daniel's involvement that we're speaking of? Nebuchadnezzar, the king, praised God after he had come out from the wilderness. King Belshazzar, another king he served under, made Daniel number three in the kingdom after Daniel explained the writing on the wall. Think of the amount of people as being number three in the kingdom that Daniel could influence with the morals and the values given to him by God. King Darius made a decree praising God after Daniel was in the lion's den and came out unscathed. All of the land heard the decree of God's miracle, all because he didn't suffice the haters. Lastly, it's not mentioned in the book of Daniel, but King Cyrus allowed the Jews to return to Jerusalem to rebuild the destroyed and looted temple, maybe the most powerful of them all. God only had to use one man who was willing to say yes and obey. What can God do with one church that says yes, one city that says yes, one state that says yes, or one nation that says yes? God used one man. There are no limits on what God can do when we simply say yes. Amen. Can I hear an amen on that? My second question was, what is our mission within culture and government? Just like Daniel, I believe it's to assist and to influence, to not alter our relationship to suffice the haters. 
And three, to ask for God's help. Because God's not going to call you to something you can do all by yourself. Anything good you want to do in life, you're going to need his help. My third question to you today. How do we translate this biblical mandate that I'm talking about into our lives today? The Bible doesn't provide us with how to operate in a democratic society like we live in today in America, how to operate in a government made by the people and for the people and people vote on things. The king, first king didn't even arise in Israel until Saul. And all the Bible stories mainly are under an oppressive government like Jesus lived in. And so what can we decide on today from the examples I brought out of where and how we can apply our biblical mandate? We should pray. 1 Timothy 2.1 I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. He understood the power of prayer for our officials. And really, you can see from that scripture alone, he's praying for peace on the land so that Christians would not be the outcast of society. They weren't living a life of dignity in their public square. He understood how powerful a government can be and how suppressive they can be to religion. Verse 3, This is good and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the what? Wants everyone to understand the truth. The truth is what we're seeking today. We should pray to walk out our biblical mandate. We should vote. We should vote as Christian citizens who are concerned with the governance of our nation, state, city, and schools. This may seem as an obvious point to do, but it isn't. Just like prayer. Let me show you how many Christians did not vote in 2012. 39 million Christians did not vote in 2012. 26 million of the 39 were registered to vote, but did not vote. These Christians had stepped off of the watchman wall and stopped looking for the enemy by simply not voting. How about 2016? Did you know that one million people positioned in the correct states would have flipped the election? It may seem like a lot, but that's only one half of one percent of the voting age population in America. 0.5 percent would have flipped it. Did you know in the, the judge in the transgender case I talked about is elected by Hamilton County alone? It would have only taken seven percent of registered voters in Hamilton County to make her lose, and that case would have never happened if we would have had a biblical judge in place. It's not, it's, it's, it's thin margins. It's, it's all thin margins. This is how important it is for Christians to vote. There isn't, there isn't one election 
that Christians should not be deciding. Christians have forfeited our place. We forfeited our place as the most powerful voter in the nation, in the state, in the city, the county, and our school boards. There should not be one election where the church is not picking and choosing the people who are going to govern over us. Every candidate should have to come through the church's hands before they even run for office. If they're going to make laws for us to abide by. We should vote to walk out our biblical mandate. We should educate and mobilize. Again, Matthew 5, God has not called us to sit by and to keep our light dim or our discernment from the Holy Spirit silent. Daniel did not keep silent. MLK did not keep silent. Finney, Moses, and Esther didn't keep silent. Imagine if they would have. Imagine if those people who had a biblical mandate for the sole purpose of being in government, influencing government, were not there and they kept silent. I brought up a message or a part of the Daniel. What if Daniel saw this dude, this, it says a handwriting on the wall, imaginary. What if he saw it, he thought, or he knows God's speaking to him, but he's like, you know, I don't know if that's God. I just saw 50 astrologers get their head cut, heads cut off. I'm not going to risk it to tell the king about that interpretation. We see that every day. We see people's reputations getting cut off because they stand up for the word of God. And we say, well, someone else is going to do that. Someone else is going to speak up. I can't risk my reputation. I, I'm going to suffice my haters. I'm going to stay quiet. If we can educate ourselves on the issues in our community and apply the biblical truth that we know, we can change it and we are educated. And when we convince our neighbor to be involved as well, we are mobilizing. But not mobilizing as a church, but as the church. If we band together first as the church and commit to praying, to voting, to educating, and to mobilizing, the governance and culture of our community can change overnight. I think of a member of our church, KK. I don't think she's here today, but she's running for mayor of Crittenden. When she wins, she's going to bring the light of God to her city and her governance of her city. I mentioned this before, but Sister Kim and Eileen and Mackenzie, I saw her in here. Those who are in our schools that I mentioned, they're bringing the watchmen to the schools. I think of our state workers, Sitar Maine, and some others that work in government. They're bringing their watchmen to our government. You're allowing God to use you for change. See, but this goal of overnight change, it's not something, it's a dream. Oh, Cole, that's, that's just funny. Everybody's been saying that the whole time. Every, everybody says it can change overnight. Actually, I actually have a story for you. This has been done before at a church in Chino Hills, California. Pastor Jack Hibbs has educated and mobilized his church to address community concerns. The local public school in Chino Hills had been teaching kids Islamic conversion prayers and how to plan 
and budget a trip to Mecca, a part of their curriculum. The educated and mobilized congregation decided something needed to be done about what's going on in our community. So, they got several members of the church to run for the school board that has power over the curriculum. After the election, Pastor Jack Hibbs' church had a majority of the school board and they changed the curriculum. (coughs) But not too much longer after that, the city council in Chino Hills decided to stop praying in Jesus' name. Pastor Hibbs' congregation mobilized again and printed 5,000 shirts that say, I pray in Jesus' name. They all showed up to the next city council meeting to show how mobilized and how educated they were. But the church didn't stop there. They decided to have members run for the city council now. The church took the majority of the city council and changed the city's motto to, In God We Trust which sits above the mayor's seat in Chino Hills, California. Pastor Hibbs' church is a watchman church. They're watching over their community. I truly believe that when Christians are educated and mobilized, everything in government and culture should go through our hands first. Everybody believe that? To answer my third question, I believe... We can walk out our biblical mandate by praying, voting, educating, and mobilizing. In closing, going back to Ezekiel 33, 7. Now, son of man, I am making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. My title of a watchman on the wall is meant for all of us. God had called Ezekiel to watch over the people and to hear from God. I believe that each of us are called to be a watchman on the wall, a watchman for our families, for our communities, for our schools, for our church, to see the enemy coming. God isn't calling the corrupt and the evil in society to be the watchman. Do you think any good will come from the corrupt and evil? He's calling you and he's calling me. You and I have to watch over our children, our schools, and our communities. Because if we don't look after it, who will hear from God? Who? I mean, who will protect the vulnerable? Who will pray? Who is going to be voting? Who is educating? And who is mobilizing? You think Satan is mobilizing? You think he's educating? Oh, yeah. He's he's going on the... He's mobilizing. He's mobilizing his troops. I think about the generation of Charles Finney. I thought about if I had the chance to talk to my great, 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 great grandfather who lived in that generation. I would ask him, what did you do with the slavery issue? Were you a part of the problem? Or did you, were you a part of the change? I think about MLK's generation, not too far off. If 
I had the ability to talk to my great-grandmother knowing what I know now. I would ask her, did you do anything to help? Or were you still a part of the problem? Did you answer the call of God on your life? I'm blessed to see my grandmother sitting here and my parents. And I know they're fighting for change. And that gives me so much hope. They fought and they are fighting. And when my daughter comes along in 16 weeks, I want her to see that I was a watchman on the wall. She's not going to have to sit here wondering, Cole, Dad, what did you do? My community's like this. My school's like this. Why, why are these politicians like this? Did you do anything or did you just sit and do nothing? Did I leave my community better off than when my child's going to get it? Is she going to have to fight even harder than what we're going to have to do right now? Will I even inspire my daughter to fight? To fight the good fight. That's what we're talking about today. Fighting the good fight. How about the kids in GPC Kids? Will they be inspired to fight? Will they see my life as a testimony of when you fight and you stand up? God is going to be right there with you. Are they going to see that? Are they going to say he was weak and he just fell off? He just fell off the wall. And look at all the enemies that came in. Are they going to have anybody to even look to? These are the things that we need to be thinking about as a church. As watchmen on the wall of your family, of your community, of your schools. And the last scripture of the sermon today comes from 2 Chronicles 7.14. Many of you know it. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and to heal their land. Do you believe that today? When we get on our knees, we pray, we ask God to forgive us of falling off the wall. God's going to lift us back up and say, I know it's been a rough time, but get back up on the wall and look after your community. You are the watchman, just as Ezekiel was. You are the watchman that sees the enemy coming. And when I tell you they're coming, you got to speak up. Yes. It's been a pleasure to be with you today. And I appreciate it. And, and one quick thing as well. Pastor Garrett and I have been working together along with a, a national organization, Family Research Council. We're going to bring our very own Culture Impact team here to church. And we're going to partner with churches in the area to impact our community with the Word of God. We hope to have the Culture Impact team ready soon, hopefully within a month. But if you're interested, absolutely see me or Garrett for more details. And remember today, if you remember one thing, you are the watchman on the wall. Thank you.